0: This sermon, The Beginning of Christmas, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, December 4th, 2022, at Sovereign Grace Church. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Am I on? Everybody hear me? Okay, great. Well, please open up your Bibles to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. We are taking a break for Christmas from our series in Acts, and I'm excited about this Christmas series. Uh, If you're wondering uh, where we're going over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, all the way back to the beginning in Genesis 3. Next week, we're going to go all the way to the back of our Bibles in the book of Revelation, and then we'll spend a couple Sundays in the prophet of Isaiah. And then hopefully you will be joining us Christmas morning where we will look at Luke 2 and celebrate God incarnate, our Savior, come into this world to save us from our sins. But one of the things about this series is that it really gives us an opportunity to think about Christmas, to understand Christmas Something that, as we've already heard, whether you're in pre-service prayer or or just a time of ministry this morning, we can become familiar with, and yet we find Christmas all over the pages of Scripture. I don't have to tell you this because you know this, but there's a continuity in the goodness of God. There's a continuity to Scripture. We, we, We can see God's plan of redemption unfolding from the beginning of time to the great consummation, When Christ Returns, and and hopefully our Christmas series helps you see that. In a sense, good preaching also teaches us how to read our Bibles. And so being able to see the promise of God to redeem sinners and and to bring them to himself from all over the pages of Scripture, well, uh, who would have dreamed that God would devise such a plan that was unfolded throughout the ages. But before we go to Genesis 3, I, I'm going to begin this series by taking you way back. If you're visiting, you know, every now and then I like to sing in my sermon. And uh, this is one of those mornings. So uh, for those who can't stand my singing, you'll just have to bear with me. But I want to take you way back to 1960. That's, that's before me. Uh, so that, that's way back for, for me to Sam Cooke, everybody remember who Sam Cooke was? I see a few people, no, I see a fist bump, all right. 1960. Sam Cooke and his big hit, Wonderful World. It goes like this. Wish I had a kazoo up here to hit the right note, right? But it goes something like this. Don't know much about history. Don't know much about Biology. Don't know much about a science book, don't know much about the French I took, but I do know that I love you, and I know if you love me too, what a wonderful world this would be. You remember that song? You remember? You We got, boy, mostly people are giving me deer in the headlight looks. That song hits home with me because I was never a good student, and so it's true. I don't know much about biology and science, and I never took French, but this morning as I stand up here, there is something that I know for certain, and it's what ultimately makes life wonderful, and it's what Christmas is truly about. God graciously pursuing sinners. That's what this season is about. God condescending. Why? Why would an infinite holy God who who all things belong to him. Why would he condescend, here's the answer, to mercifully save hell-deserving sinners? That's what the manger is about. That is the glorious point of Christmas. And like our title says, who would have dreamed that the divine Christmas plan would begin way back in the garden as we will learn in the middle of what I call a funeral. Genesis 3 records the darkest day in human history for us. It has been referred to as mankind's funeral. And ironically, as we will learn this morning, it's at this funeral that hope suddenly out of the darkness, out of the hopelessness, out of the despair, hope suddenly springs forth in the very first promise of Christmas. And so we begin Christmas in Genesis 3, and I just humbly submit to you as we begin, I don't believe that apart from Genesis 3, we can rightly understand or sufficiently experience the joy of Christmas. So would you stand with me and we are going to read together Genesis 3 the entire chapter it says this now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made he said to the woman did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat, and forever there, eat and live forever." Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubims and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, as we come now to your word, we ask for your help. Fill us freshly with your spirit. Lord, as we heard this morning, our hearts are as busy as Bethlehem. We come distracted. Lord, we come all too familiar about what Christmas is truly about. At times we can seem numb to it. The glories and the wonders of God incarnate can just bounce off of our hearts. So I pray that you soften our hearts, that you clear our minds, that we might be freshly amazed by you and trust you with every ounce of our being. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have two points this morning from Genesis 3. The first one is we are going to attend a funeral in the garden. But in the midst of that funeral, we will find our hope promised. That's one day we'll come in a manger. And the goal, again, is to understand and be reminded of the point of Christmas. God graciously pursuing you and I, us, with redeeming love. In the first seven verses, I'm sure that many of you are probably uh, familiar with this text, but in the first seven verses, we learn of the fall of mankind. We just read how tempted by Satan, who took the form of the servant... Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating from the one tree he forbid them to eat from. He says, all this I give to you. And like we do to this day, we want everything else. (laughs) But Adam and Eve did eat from the garden. And when they did, humanity plunged into sin. And Adam and Eve knew it because in verse 8, look what happens. In verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve knew something went bad. They were, for the first time, afraid. They were, for the first time, ashamed. And they ran, and they hid from God. They sought to remove themselves from his eye. This is humanity's story, and it was once our story, If you're here and and you have put faith in Jesus Christ, this was at one time your story. You were running from God in your sin. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, well, you are still here in Genesis 3. It might not feel like it, But you are running and hiding from God. The darkness runs from the light. But no one can hide from God. And we see that clearly. God finds Adam and Eve. And in verse 14, he lays out the judgment for their sin i 'm not going to read back through it again because we just read it, but in, in verses fourteen through nineteen, we find god 's righteousness being revealed through his judgment of the serpent, which is Satan, of Adam and of eve god 's holiness demands that adam 's sin be dealt with. He can't overlook what has occurred in the garden because if he did, he would no longer be God. And so we see the righteousness of God being expressed and revealed here in this curse. And we still feel the effects of it today, right? Genesis 3 this curse that, that is pronounced over Adam and Eve. It's why there is pain and suffering in your life. It's why disease and death are present. It's why things like gender dysphoria, really gender delusion. And same-sex infatuations exist. It's why relational conflict and abusive relationships are a reality for so many people. It's why abortion and violence are a problem. It's why pride and ignorance reign all too often. It's why futility and frustrations of work, not work itself, but our view of work and our attitude toward work exists because of what happened here in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned, God pronounced judgment, and it set the world in a down spiral. And here we are, the effects of sin and its curse that we learn about in Genesis three are everywhere. And our life experiences affirm it. But there's an even deeper problem here that we need to be aware of. Because what we see in verses 14 through 19 are just symptoms of the real dilemma. They're just symptoms of the humanity's serious, serious dilemma. Look down at verse 22 with me. Notice what happens at the end of this scene. Then the Lord God said, having pronounced, having judged them for their sin, he says this, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Because of their sin and guilt, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. They are severed from the presence of God. He banishes them from this paradise. Really, what is happening here is their fellowship with God was broken. And they became spiritually dead. They didn't die physically immediately, but spiritually they died. Genesis 3 is a funeral. It's the funeral of mankind. And it's our funeral. Merry Christmas. It's our funeral. Romans 5, verses 12 through 21, teaches that through Adam, through his sin, we have inherited a sin nature And that's why we sin. That's why we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We inherited Adam's sinful nature that leads to our own personal sin and guilt before God, making us then like Adam, separated from God. Isaiah 59, 2 says that our sin, our transgressions separate us from God. And so like Adam, we are spiritually dead. Like it says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we are like the rest of mankind under the wrath of God. That's the great human dilemma that represents the dark side of Christmas. Christmas is, right, it's it's, insane. it's commercialized, it's symbolized in our world with what? Lots of lights. Pretty, pretty, sparkling, colorful lights. Right now, my home is lit up. I don't need to turn on a single light in the house because between the, 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 the string of lights on the mantle and the tree and all the other lights that Donna has put up, uh, my home is lit up. But it's actually the opposite. Christmas has a very dark side. It's a funeral. But there's hope. There's great hope. Because in the middle of mankind's funeral, we find, we find the promise of Christmas hope. We find the promise that would be inaugurated in a manger. In fact, notice verse, look at verse 9. Look what happens here. Adam and Eve sin against the Lord. Look at God's response. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? I love this picture. The moment Adam and Eve fell into sin, we find God pursuing them with these words. Adam, Eve, where are you? Where are you? Now listen, to be sure, that question doesn't reveal a lack in God. God knows all things from beginning to end. There is nothing unknown to God. He knew exactly where they were. But these words are meant to reveal a God of love and hope. These words demonstrate the wonder of God's love for and his grace toward sinners. And that's what Adam and Eve were. Man runs and hides from God, but God calls and pursues. Amazing. Amazing. That's what makes grace amazing. That is what grace is. We run and hide from God, and yet he mercifully pursues us. Instead of writing off creation in this moment, and indeed God would have been just to do so, God pursues Adam with a cry of infinite love and grace. And it's in these words, these divine words, these words spoken by God himself, We find the heart of Christmas. God pursuing sinners. I love what John Piper says. Speaking of Christmas, he says it's a season for cherishing. And worshiping this characteristic of God. That he is a searching and saving God. That he is a God on a mission. That that he is not aloof or passive or indecisive. He is never in the maintenance mode, coasting or drifting. He is sending, pursuing, searching, saving. That's the meaning of Advent. That's the purpose in Christmas. How many, I love Christmas movies, by the way, and I, I watch them all <laughs> from Thanksgiving to Christmas. I've seen them all, most of them, at least a half a dozen times. But at the end, have you ever noticed so often, not all of the movies, but so many of them, they end with this grand statement, right? And that's what Christmas means to me I just watched a movie the other night see kids Christmas means many things to many people but this is what it means to me bah humbug (laughs) Christmas is about God mercifully pursuing sinners And surprisingly, the plan for that divine pursuit is embedded right here in the curse itself. Those precious words, where are you, are followed up with an enormous promise. Notice verse 15. He says this, and he's speaking to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Don't think for a moment this is why we're afraid of snakes. It's not. (laughs) Verse 15 is known as a Proto-evangelium, the first pronouncement of the gospel. It's right here in the garden, in the middle of the curse, at the beginning of the Bible. The first pronouncement of the gospel occurs at a funeral. (laughs) A ray of hope in a dark, dark situation now the the serpent here this is Satan he will bruise the heel of Eve's offspring and if you follow the idea if you do a biblical theology on offspring what you will learn is Paul finally explains it all to us particularly in Galatians that offspring in the Old Testament in context like this refers to Jesus and of course to bruise the heel is to cause suffering which Jesus experienced at the cross suffering even unto death Satan thought he had it made Satan thought it was over 3 days later Jesus was risen from the dead. He could not be destroyed. The grave could not hold him down. Christ rose triumphant over sin and Satan. Satan did not destroy him. It was as if Satan nipped at his heel. But Eve's offspring, and that is Jesus Christ, Eve's offspring, according to the scriptures, will bruise the head of Satan. The idea here is actually will crush the head of Satan. To bruise the heel is to cause suffering, but to bruise the head, well, that is to destroy and that's what's being said here. God says to Satan who has seemingly destroyed God's perfect creation, I will defeat and destroy you. That, that, that's what is being said here in verse 15. And, and, and think of it as, as the three C's of Satan's demise. Okay? Three ways that, that God would bring this about. First, Christmas. Christmas. The first blow to Satan, as we will see next week in Revelation 12, is when Jesus was born into this world. We'll we'll see next week that Satan was there waiting for that baby to devour it. But he could not. In fact, that baby was taken up to God and ascended Christ and so we see the first blow to Satan was the birth of this baby boy Jesus. The first blow to Satan was God incarnate, the inauguration of His plan of redemption. The second C is consummation. There is a final blow to Satan that will occur when Christ returns. That's why Romans sixteen twenty says the God of peace will soon. Crush Satan under your feet. A final blow. But then there's the cross, which is the decisive blow that crushed and defeated Satan. The cross. The cross removed Satan's one certain weapon against you and I. And it was this: His accusations before the throne of God that we are guilty sinners and deserve to perish along with him. Now that, 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 that is that the, go read Zechariah. And I think in Zechariah 3, Joshua the high priest standing before the throne. Satan accusing him. But then he is, his, his stained garments are removed and he is clothed with pure vestments before the throne of God. See, the cross took that weapon away from Satan, and the moment that it was taken away from him, he was finished. (laughs) Now, he's right. Satan is right. We do deserve to perish, just like Adam and Eve did. But this baby born in a manger... die on a cross he would be crucified taking our sin upon himself as if it was his 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became sin for us. That does not mean that Christ became a sinner on the cross. It means that God looked upon Jesus as if he had committed all those sins. And because he is a holy and just God, he could do none other but punish his son. And because of what happened at the cross, We are justified before God. That is, we are made right. We are found blameless because not only has the penalty of your sin been taken care of at Calvary, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he provided through his perfect life here on earth is put over you like a robe. And you are declared righteous in the sight of God. Not because of anything you did, not because anything that we could do, but wholly on the basis of the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. At that moment, it's at the cross where the decisive blow to Satan was dealt. This is why. Paul could say in Colossians 2 God made a, us alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by counseling the record of dead that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, that is our sin, nailing it to the cross. And in doing so, look what Paul says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. In Hebrews 2, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. (laughs) At the cross, Satan was dealt the final blow. Christmas was the first blow. God incarnate. The final blow will be dealt at the return of Christ, but the decisive blow that ended it all, that rendered Satan useless because the cross removed his greatest weapon, accusing us. But this baby in a manger who would die on a cross comes in and says, No, 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 no. I stand in their stead. This is why Paul in Romans 8 can say nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate those justified in Christ from the love of God, not even Satan. So Christmas is the beginning of the fulfillment of this glorious promise made in the dark, darkest hour of human history. In the manger lay Jesus. There's a new kid in town. A fully human baby boy. Born through the messiness of the womb. As Tim reminded us this morning in pre-service prayer. Yet, oh, the wonders and mysteries of the wisdom of God, he was still fully God. came into this world to redeem sinners from the curse by becoming a curse for us. He was born in a manger. He grew up in sorrow and grief. He died on a cross to destroy Satan and liberate sinners like you and I from bondage. Isn't that exactly what the angel declared in Matthew 1? Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and get this, here's the purpose, here's why he was born, here's why he came, here's what Christmas is about, for he will save his people from their sins. And you know what? I love this. This this whole plan in in a veiled way is, again, right here in the garden, We have the entire Christmas story, it seems, right here in the garden. Notice verse 20. Notice verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And then listen. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So in the garden, in the sea, God doesn't just pursue Adam and Eve by calling out to them. He provides for their need. He he covers their shame and guilt. Oh, they must still face the consequences of their sin, but he does not destroy them. He is merciful by covering their shame and guilt, by mercifully providing and protecting them with clothing Guess what? From animal skins. Guess guess what has to happen if you are going to be clothed with animal skins? Blood must be shed. (laughs) Animal blood had to be shed. As we are reminded in Hebrews 9.22, no bloodshed, no forgiveness of sins. And so we see right here in the garden in God's provision, we get a glimpse of how Jesus would come and cover us. We're covered in his blood and righteous. So so now Genesis 3 really, the, the scene in Genesis 3 really becomes clear. It's, it's this giant neon arrow pointing to the manger that will lead to the cross, that will lead to the salvation of sinners who have no other save the offspring of Eve, Jesus the Christ, whom God mercifully puts forth as a substitutionary sacrifice for us. That's Christmas in the garden. That's a God mercifully at work bringing hope in the darkest day of mankind's history. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you might be six, you might be 60. The only thing that matters is right now, you can't say, my sins are covered in the blood of Christ and I stand before God justified. That comes, according to Romans 5, that comes by faith, by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. If you can't say that, then this Christmas I want to remind you in the words of God to Adam and Eve in the garden, where are you? Where are you this morning? Are you hiding from God? Are you hiding from God because you think the sin you've committed in the past is too great? Well, Pastor, you don't know the things I've done. Well, can I just humbly say, you don't know the things I've done. (laughs) And I would bet mine are worse than yours. And there's people in this room that know that. Are you hiding from God? Because you just you need to be able to figure him out first. It just from beginning to end, it's gotta make sense to me. You can't figure out God. And the good thing is you don't need to. He says, believe in my son Jesus Christ, and I will save you. Where where are you? Are you hiding from God? Listen, here's a great thing about Christmas. Christmas reminds you, you don't have to hide from God. Believe in him. Believe in Jesus. Believe not in the spirit of Christmas, but the Christ of Christmas But believe not in the good will of humanity, but in the infinitely good mercy and grace of Jesus. Believe not in yourself, but in the person and work of Jesus that provides righteousness and forgiveness for your sins. No matter how many they are, and no matter how great they are, God's mercy is greater than your greatest sins. Believe not in the power of your believing, but in the promise of God that all who believe, all who call on his name in humility, in faith from the heart will be saved. Where are you? To the Christian, I... I ask you the same question. I ask myself this week the same question. Where are you? Where are you? Are you spiritually parched like we heard about in last week's call to worship? Are you feasting on secret sin? Feeling the weight of condemnation for it. When my son Brett was about four, couldn't find him anywhere in the house. Looked everywhere, calling out his name, silence. Finally, I decided to check in the pantry, and it was a small pantry. You know the kind of pantry where you shut the door and the door almost touches the ed- edge of the shelf? And there he was, squeezed in there, eating a ho ho. Because he knew. (laughs) He knew he was in disobedience. He wasn't naked. (laughs) He was hiding. He was feasting. Are you feasting on secret sin? Where are you? Are you battling besetting sin? Are you paralyzed by sinful anxiety? Have the distractions of the world the glitz and glamour of all that we engage with every day. Have they made you spiritually apathetic and different? You're a Sunday morning Christian. I heard a Christmas, I love bluegrass. I'm listen, I, when I ride in the car to church with Donna, I listen to bluegrass on the way to church. It's Christian bluegrass. And the song I heard this morning was Sunday Morning Christian. Listen, is this the only time of the week where you're nodding your head in affirmation of God's love for you? Where you're telling yourself, yes, Derek, God is so good. He's taken care of you in greatest need. Or are you preaching that to yourself? Every day of the week. We sang this morning, is your heart as busy as Bethlehem? You just got so much going on. Good stuff, some bad stuff, but the point is your heart is busy and you don't have much time for God. Is that where you are? Listen, wherever you are, God mercifully calls you. To return to the true joy and hope of Christmas. I, I love Christmas because there is a sense in which it slows us down. There is this focus that, that really, for us as believers, hopefully it's a focus every day and every Sunday, but yet there's a unique way that this season reminds us of the hope that we have in Christ. Two things as we close for the believer here. One, relish the present. This Christmas, relish the present. Now listen, by that I don't mean you have one life to live, so live it to its fullest. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean in a season characterized by the question, what do you want? (laughs) Remember, What you've already been given. There is no greater gift than eternal salvation. There is no greater gift than having your sins covered, actually, removed, according to the psalmist in Psalm 103. Removed as far as the east from the west. You know what that means? it means God no longer holds them against you. And not only that, you come to the throne of God above with the righteousness of Christ covering you. You know what that means? It means God not only looks at you as if your sins have been forgiven, which they have, but he looks at you as if you never, ever committed them. (laughs) Like Christ, he looks at you as if you obeyed him perfectly every time. When you hear that word justified, that's what it means. It's just as if I never sinned because you come bearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Live in the good of that this Christmas, Relish your present reality. I know that the sin abounds. We, we, you, you know this. You know that at the cross, the penalty of your sin was paid. At the cross, the power of sin was broken over you. And yet we live in the here but not yet. We live in the church age where we are assured of our position before God, but yet we live in that position in this fallen world where we still feel the effects of sin, where temptation still abounds, where we are weak at times and we fall into sin, where we, where we do exchange the glory of God for the glory of self. But remember, as you give yourself to how you're living before God, do not forget that you do it out of a position before God. That is sure. It is a sure foundation. So relish the present this Christmas and focus on the future. Relish the present and focus on the future. We we spend so much time preparing for the future practically, don't we? (laughs) Just name all the ways. The Christian hope is in Christ's return, not the prospects of a better 2023. (laughs) God has promised that the cross will give way to a new heaven and earth. One day, this child, this Savior, he will return in a way that he was not present with us in the first century, he will return as the risen, slain and risen lamb. To make all things new. To make all things right. To deal the final blow to Satan. There will be no more broken promises. There will be no more emotional and physical suffering. There will be no more sin. There will not even be the presence of the temptation to sin. Imagine that. As we sang this morning, as far as the curse is found... will be the eternal blessings of Jesus Christ and his people. So relish the present. Feast on what Christ has done for you. And focus on the future. What awaits you. You know you might not know much about biology or science and maybe like me you didn't even take french but you know what christmas is about believe it live in it